Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? I am. I'm ready. Let's go! All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, that's awesome. And I just want to say hello, everybody. Hello, everyone in Texas and the United States and all over the world. And by the time this episode airs, we will be at least two weeks into Saturn and Pisces. So everything should be different. I'm wondering how that's going to feel. Uh, Yeah, well, well... Uh... Well, we'll keep track of that uh, for everyone, uh, and uh, there may be some big changes. Uh, at least that's what the uh, the stars say that there might be in the uh, next few weeks, and that those changes might happen uh, for a long time. Uh, so hopefully it's all positive for everyone. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, we'd like to thank everyone uh, for tuning in, uh, all of our returning listeners, and of course... If this is your first episode of History in Retrograde, we'd like to uh, wish you a very special welcome. Uh, we've got uh, quite the party going on over here. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, the way that we do things is, uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that into the Bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that this historical figure was born. Uh, she will then uh, do her best to give a blind reading of the chart, telling us what she can about the person's uh, personality, uh, motivations, uh, fortunes of this Mystery History guest. I will then reveal to her uh, who our Mystery History guest is, give a little background about the person, and then we'll come together at the end and decide how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. All right, let's go. Uh, this is a male. All right. Uh, born on the 4th. Mm-hmm. Of March. 
1778. All right. Do we have a birth time? We unfortunately do not. That makes me sad. What do you want to go with? Midnight or noon? Uh, Let's do noon. Okay. All right. And where? Ireland. Ireland. Okay. All right. And do we have a town? Dublin. Okay. Well. All right. Let's see what we have here. Gonna check real quick. Um see. Um why is that not doing what I want it to do? Okay, it is. Alright. Hmm. Okay, this is very interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen this before. So we have cancer and cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So we have cancer on the first house cusp and in Placidus houses, and cancer on the second house cusp, Leo on the third house cusp, Virgo on the fourth, Libra on the fifth. We skip Scorpio altogether, right? In this Except that the, the Saturn is in Scorpio. Right. Uh-huh. And then we have Sagittarius, Capricorn, Capricorn again, Aquarius, Pisces, Aries, and this Taurus is, you know, we don't have any um, house cusps in Taurus. So we have this interception. So we have no clear Taurus and no clear Scorpio on this chart when we do Placidus houses. Okay. Now I'll go back and I'll do. And the, the fifth and the 11th house are just big. They're bigger than usual. Yeah. Like even when you have an interception, they're not even necessarily this big. They're right. Those... This is really big. And it has to do with where in the world and and the time. And so also because we did this at noon, you know, mm-hmm. on this day. So because we don't really know what this person's rising sign is because we're guessing noon. All right. So with that said, we really don't know for sure if this person has this interception, but it's probably likely that they do. So let me go back and pull this as an equal house chart. And that's equal, not whole house. Okay. So now that we have this as an equal house chart, um, with each um, house cusp starting at 15 degrees, because that's what we have this set as the rising sign. We have the following planets, and the planets wouldn't change. Um, we have Sun at 14 degrees Pisces, Moon at 24 degrees Taurus, Mercury at 17 degrees Aquarius, Venus at 9 degrees Pisces, Mars at 6 degrees Aries, Jupiter at 19 degrees Leo, Saturn at 15 degrees Scorpio, Uranus at 11 degrees Gemini, 
Neptune at 28 degrees Virgo, Pluto at 1 degree Aquarius, North Node at 6 degrees Cancer, and Chiron at 21 degrees Aries. Interesting. So, this is close to a completely splash chart. I mean, this is pretty much a splash chart because no matter what this person's rising sign is, they have planets all the way around their um, chart, around their wheel, right? Um, having North Node in Cancer gives this person, if they're working on their North Node and not their South Node, um, a nurturing way about them. They should want to be um, valuable to people and be helpful to people um, in a Cancerian way, also ruled by the moon. And if this person were to have uh, their first house be Cancer, um, then this, at the 15 degree mark, which we've made up, would put their North Node in their 12th house. So we're not going to focus too much on what houses anything is in because we don't know. But this person has Jupiter in Leo, which would make them very dramatic and bright, um, visible wherever they go, because Jupiter is a lot and too much, you know, and in Leo, it's going to be the sun, you know, uh, the sun rules Leo. So in this situation, this person should be unmissable. Like you should be able to see them wherever they go. They, they're not much for, um, keeping themselves hidden. Uh, they have Neptune in Virgo. Neptune in Virgo is difficult, a little bit difficult because Neptune represents illusion and dreams and the dream world and these kind of things. And Virgo likes to be very precise and data oriented and specific. And it's a little difficult when Neptune is in Virgo. So With this placement, it could play out that this person could be very creative with um, writing or have a new way of healing things because uh, Virgo is also healing. More healing from the actual physical side than the um, spiritual side. But with Neptune there representing the spiritual, they could be a healing type of person. Um, 
they don't have anything in Virgo. They do have Saturn in Scorpio. So Saturn in Scorpio is lessons with Pluto things, but um, originally Scorpio was ruled by Mars. So Scorpio, um, rather than being ruled by Pluto. So we'll look at both sides, okay? Um, Mars and Saturn actually get along pretty well. So considering that uh, Saturn, uh, in this situation, um, their Saturn is in Scorpio, okay? They could have interest in things that have to do with protection, protecting, not necessarily the war side of it, which is more Aries, but the protection side, which is Scorpio. Scorpios are very protective. Um, Saturn in Scorpio can also be the Pluto side, which is the um, occult, uh, death and rebirth, um, feeling like, you know, the seasons where, you know, winter, everything dies down and then spring, everything comes back. Um, taboo things. Um, and also abilities, you know, but learning these things because Saturn is learning and structure in Scorpio things. Okay. If that makes any sense. Uh, they don't have anything in Sagittarius. They have Pluto at one degree Aquarius, which is very interesting because we, on the 23rd of March, Pluto is going to go to zero degrees Aquarius for us. And it hasn't been there since the time of the American and French revolutions. So mm -hmm. it should be very interesting. But having Pluto in Aquarius or Saturn in Aquarius uh, gives you a powerful draw to humanitarian things unless you are a totalitarian, a dictator, which is the other side of Aquarius. So... Uh, this person has Pluto in Aquarius at one degree. Um, so they could have been very interested in humanitarian things. They also have Mercury in Aquarius at 17 degrees. So also their communication is possibly mm, unique and geared towards technological because um, when you look at uh, Aquarius ruled by Uranus that's very fast and 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 quick and 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 brilliant thinking and inventive and um mm, scientific uh but aquarius originally was ruled by saturn but 
it is different than having Capricorn ruled by Saturn because Capricorn ruled by Saturn is more um, father, teacher, and Aquarius is air. So it's a little bit lighter, but having that Mercury in, in Aquarius has to do with unique way of thinking, humanitarian ways of communicating. Then we have Venus at nine degrees, Pisces, and their midhaven at 10 degrees, Pisces, and their sun at 14 degrees, Pisces. Now, um, their midhaven may not be in Pisces because we don't know what time they were born. So we're not sure about that. But having the sun conjunct by degree, because the sun is at 14 degrees and the Venus is at 9 degrees Pisces, would make this person um, spiritual, creative, watery, um, Neptunian, even though originally Pisces was ruled by Jupiter. It also, Jupiter represents spirituality and religion and dogma and all of those things. So I would imagine with this person having Sun conjunct Venus and Pisces, they um, were very um, passionate about mm, whatever it is, whatever they're doing, It's whether it's creative or spiritual, they would be passionate about that. They would love that. Um, this person also has Mars in Aries. And Chiron in Aries. Not conjunct by degree, but conjunct by sign. And when you have Chiron conjunct anything, Chiron is the wounded healer. So there should be some issues with childhood or even past life having to do with warlike things because they have Chiron in Aries. So in order to heal from wounds, the wounds would have been having to do with Aries things and their Mars is there. So Mars and Aries is intense. It is uh, very driven. Um, Mars is at home in Aries. Mars rules Aries. So mm, this person could have a, a very pure drive toward whatever it is. They see it, they go get it. They see it, they go get it. You know? Is any of this making sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, this person has moon in Taurus. Moon in Taurus is a very sensual, earthy moon ruled by Venus. Um, this person probably would have enjoyed the finer things in life. And if not that side of it, then definitely the earthy part of it, you know, plants and animals and earth, you know, this person has Uranus in Gemini. Uh, and Uranus is already lightning fast, right? So having Uranus in Gemini, the planet of communication, ruled by Mercury, this is 
like. <laughs> if you can speed up lightning, then this is this person would have an ability to communicate really well and in a way that could be unique and possibly never experienced before if that makes any sense do you have any questions yes what do you think he'd do for a living well there's a couple of different things considering i have no houses i have no house structure you know um this person's mars is an aries so Whatever he was doing, he did it with a conquering spirit, you know? You set the goal, you reach the goal. You set the goal, you reach the goal. thing about having Mars and Aries is you want people with Mars and Aries out front. They're the ones that create it. You know what I mean? They're not afraid to go get whatever it is, but they are not, they don't have longevity. Like they want to go get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So... There would be that element about this person. Um, having North Node in Cancer, it's something to do with helping. But in a nurturing way, not in I've got all the details way. You know, like a Virgo would be like, yeah, I've got all the details. I've done all I've got I've done all the research. So and then their son. And their Venus in Pisces. Uh, they could be um, a spiritual person or a creative person. Um, something having to do with... Um, I don't know. I mean, they could, they, they have, you know, it's so hard to tell because it's the Saturn is in Scorpio, which could be protective, which could go with this Mars and Aries, which could be warlike. You know, there's a lot of different options here. What is his relationship to education? Again, without having the houses, it's really hard. Uh, but with the sun and Venus in Pisces, um, I can go with the Jupiter side of that and say that um, I would think he would have an, a more unique education. It's really hard to tell because I don't I don't know what his ninth house is, you know. Um, North Node in Cancer doesn't necessarily mean that they would be really super motivated to be super educated, but that, the thing that is catching my eye is this Uranus in Gemini, which could possibly lead them to want a lot of information. You know what I mean? Like they can't get enough information How would people respond to him? Well, this person has Jupiter and Leo, which is very garious and should be very sunshiny, unless 
they're using it as a leader, you know, like a follow me kind of thing, uh, which could make them even royal, you know, Jupiter and Leo. Uh, but the sun and the Venus in Pisces, I think that people would find this person um, interesting and maybe even creative or spiritual. And I think that these people would feel that this person had a very strong, like, stamina uh, with the Mars and Aries, you know? And uh, the moon in Taurus, I think that moon in Taurus is very, I want to say, um, dependable, you know? Uh, you can, like, you could count on this person. How would he do in a romantic relationship? Well... He has Venus conjunct his son in Pisces. I think that this person would be very, very romantic, even, even poetic, you know, like super, um, I would think super romantic and how a man with Mars and Aries, that's a very passionate man. That's a lot of passion. And that moon in Taurus, that's a lot of romance. Uh, and that Jupiter and Leo, that's a lot of drama. And Saturn in Scorpio, I don't know. I think this guy could be really super good in romance. Would he be good at reading people? <laughs> uh, not necessarily. With that Sun conjunct Venus and Pisces, like it would seem to me that he would probably try to see the best in people. I don't know, though. With Saturn and Scorpio, that could be his saving grace. Like, Scorpios are pretty good at reading everything. Like, they see what other people don't. You know what I mean? So it is possible, but I'm going to go with probably not. What is his relationship with cynicism? Hmm, cynicism. Well, I mean, it's possible that he could be cynical with this Mercury and Pluto in Aquarius, sort of, um, Seeing humanity for what it is, you know? But a lot of this chart plays out in sort of a romantic, poetic way, you know? But with this, passion, very passionate. There's a lot of creativity in this chart. I think the cynicism could also come from Saturn in, in Scorpio. Where would you find him in a group project? 
Well, he's got Mars and Aries, so he probably has to be the leader of the group project because Mars and Aries don't take a back seat very well. Uh, Jupiter in Leo also is not going to take a back seat very well. So I'm going to guess leading the group. How would he do in a debate? Well, pff, he's got Uranus and Gemini. So that side could be super fast, like make him his thoughts come. Almost like magic, you know, the Mercury in Aquarius would also give him very fast, smart abilities and communication, you know? How would he react if he was betrayed? Well, one, the sun and the Venus in Pisces. Pisces is ruled by Neptune, and Neptune does not mess around when he is betrayed. You know what I mean? He'll full-on bring about tsunamis, okay? Mars and Aries typically has a very fiery, quick temper. And Moon in Taurus also can get very angry. So... It's possible this person could light fire to things, you know? What is his legacy? I don't know what his eighth house is, so I don't know. Um, I can't answer that without having some idea of the eighth house. Um, trying to figure out what that would be. Without that component is kind of hard. I would guess maybe humanitarian things. Um, it's something, I think it's something that has to do. Uh, well, I mean, it can be with groups of people. Or leading, maybe. Do you have any other uh, final first impressions? I think if all of these things that I'm looking at are on the light side and not the dark side of each of these, you know, I think this person would be amazing and very interesting and I think I would like this person if I'm reading everything properly. But, um, yeah, I think that this person probably was um, a very, if not creative, um, but I think they were creative, spiritual person. With the heart of a warrior. Am I even close? <laughs> I think so. Oh, okay. Uh, at this time, uh, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. <laughs> okay. 
first thing you said was that this person would be uh, nurturing mm-hmm. uh, and that they want to be valuable and help people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be very dramatic, bright and visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be unmissable. He mm-hmm. would stand out in a crowd. He mm-hmm. would not be good at hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be a very creative writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have a new way of healing, mm-hmm. uh, more likely physically than spiritually, but also possibly spiritually healing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would be lessons with power and death and rebirth mm-hmm. uh, and war. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an interest in protecting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, would be interested in learning about taboo, hidden, and secret things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a powerful draw to humanitarian or possibly totalitarian things. Mm-hmm. He has a unique uh, communication style, and it is geared uh, towards technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has unique ways of humanitarian thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd be spiritual and creative and mm-hmm. very passionate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are issues with war in his childhood or in the past or in a past life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a pure drive towards achieving goals. Mm-hmm. He could enjoy the finer things and enjoy nature. Uh, He uh, could communicate really well in a unique way that people have never experienced before. Mm -hmm. Uh, He achieved things with a conquering spirit. Uh, He uh, would set goals and achieve those goals, a very Mm -hmm. goal-oriented person. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd be out front uh, and may not have uh, the follow-through on some of these things. There's not uh, lots of longevity in his actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be interested in helping people, uh, but not necessarily able to get all of the particulars out on how he would help the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be spiritual and creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, might have a unique education, uh, and he would crave information. Mm-hmm. He'd be very gregarious Mm -hmm. and shiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd be loyal. Uh, People uh, might, they would find him interesting and creative. Mm -hmm. They would sense that he was strong and had good stamina and would be dependable. Mm -hmm. Uh, He could be very romantic, Mm -hmm. uh, poetic, passionate, uh, a lot of romance and drama in Mm -hmm. his life. Mm Mm-hmm. He might not be good at reading people. Uh, He wants to see the best in everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's possible that he could be a cynic, but more likely the romantic and passionate parts of his character would take over. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, uh, in a group project, he would be the leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not someone comfortable with taking a back seat. Mm Mm-hmm. In a debate, he could be super fast, Mm -hmm. uh, and he would have a quick ability in communication. Mm -hmm. Uh, If he were betrayed, he might have a fiery, quick temper and explosive anger. Mm -hmm. His legacy is connected to humanitarian things, Mm -hmm. groups of people, and leading. Mm -hmm. He is an amazing and interesting person. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would like him. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he is a creative, spiritual, spiritual person with the heart of a warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you ready to find out whose chart you've been looking at? Yes. So this podcast is set to be released on Friday, March 17th, which is St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. And uh, so I thought it would be an appropriate time to look into the life of one of Ireland's greatest patriots, Robert Emmett. Ooh. I'm very excited to hear about this. Uh, so... I'm not so sure how familiar he would be to American audiences today. But at one time in the 1800s, uh, nearly every American knew who Robert Emmett was and what he did in the summer of 1803. Uh, he has a legacy that uh, is certainly uh, embodied in many of the people in Ireland. Uh, and uh, his story is told to school children. Uh, and in America, uh, over the years, not as much, but at one time, uh, certainly loomed maybe even more uh, in America than in Ireland at one time. Uh, so, uh, Robert Emmett, he was born on uh, March 4th of 1778. He was the son of Elizabeth and uh, Dr. Robert Emmett. Uh, Dr. Emmett uh, was the king's physician. Uh, if uh, the King of England were ever to visit Ireland, uh, he would be the attending physician for the king. Mm. That is how uh, respected he was within uh, the uh, English crown uh, as they ruled in Ireland. Mm -hmm. uh, they, the Emmett family was part of the Protestant ascendancy. They were descended from English people who had uh, gone uh, to Ireland generations before, uh, and they were um, not of the uh, majority of the people who were of the Catholic faith. They were intricately tied to uh, English rule in Ireland and in Dublin. Mm -hmm. uh, he is born in 1778, uh, and his father, Dr. Emmett, is absolutely fascinated with what's going on in the American colonies. Uh, he is... Uh, the doctor is transfixed by what Ben Franklin is doing in Paris, uh, negotiating this treaty uh, for America to have France support it without France taking over America. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, throughout his early life, uh, the doctor tells young Robert Emmett uh, about uh, how great it was uh, that these Americans were standing up for liberty and uh, that they were so smart and mm -hmm. uh, allying themselves with France, but uh, not uh, connecting them themselves too much with them and uh, achieving this goal of liberty. Uh, and even though they are part of this Protestant ascendancy, uh, their household could be seen as uh, somewhat radical. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, we talked about uh, Theobald Wolf Tone. Mm -hmm. uh, he was someone who could be seen at their dinner table. Uh, Robert Emmett's uh, older brother was great friends uh, with Wolf Tone. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of conversation uh, going on throughout young Robert Emmett's life about uh, rebellion and about uh, the uh, kicking off of uh, English rule in Ireland and making Ireland its own independent republic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
in his early years, he attended all of the very best schools uh, that you could in Dublin, and uh, he uh, got very high marks. He was very smart, and he was very uh, uh, innovative. He uh, was always looking into creating new gadgets, and uh, he was interested in chemistry and what different chemicals did when they reacted mm. with each other. And uh, he was an advent, uh, avid uh, student of history and English and was a very great uh, speaker and mm-hmm. orator. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the age of 15, uh, he was enrolled in Trinity College, Dublin. Uh, this was a time where it wasn't unlikely to see maybe a 17-year-old uh, at Trinity, but a 15-year-old was really remarkable mm-hmm. and really shows how smart uh, and what the intellect of this young man. Uh, and in his teens, uh, he follows in his brother's footsteps, and he joins uh, the United Irishmen. Mm. This was a group of people that spanned uh, the religions, a Catholic and Protestant working together uh, to try and create a united Ireland and throw off English rule. Mm-hmm. It was a secret society, and if his uh, if knowledge had come out of his involvement, uh, he uh, could have been uh, uh, captured and killed. Mm. Uh, but uh, he uh, joined it and was actually part of several different cells within Trinity and Dublin and was uh, in charge of recruiting new members mm-hmm. into the society. Uh, in his time in Dublin, uh, he does remarkably well. By the time uh, of his second year, uh, he is at the top of his class mm-hmm. uh, in all of uh, the uh, oral examinations that he would have at the end of uh, each term, uh, consistently uh, getting the very best marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, during this time, he also uh, joins the uh, famous historical society, and this was a, a debating group. And Trinity is still run by the English crown, just like any other uh, college would be anywhere in the kingdom. So uh, the administration had set specific rules on what the debating society could talk about. And they could not talk about modern politics. You cannot have debates about what's going on in Ireland at this very moment. Okay. So he instead uh, makes these debates about ancient times and Mm -hmm. about Greece and Rome. And is it right for these large powers like Rome to go into these smaller countries Mm -hmm. like Sicily or somewhere or Etruria and take them over and run their uh, affairs for them? Mm -hmm. He's not talking about England and Ireland. He's talking about Rome Mm -hmm. and Greece. But everyone knew exactly what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And he was such a profound orator. Uh, There are descriptions of his oratory that say that he would would lift out his hand in front of him. And then with two fingers of the other hand, he would just drive the points home. And it was like the entire audience was captured in his hand uh, as he went through all the points of every one of his arguments. Mm -hmm. Well... Quickly, he became a problem for the administration. (laughs) Uh, And so much so that by the time he's getting into his senior year, he's already uh, achieved uh, all of his marks. He's uh, all that's left is really to have his degree certified and for him to graduate Mm -hmm. uh, in February of uh, 1798. um, There is this one last debate for uh, the uh, senior class. Uh, And the administration finds a former graduate uh, to go up against 
Robert Emmett. Mm-hmm. And they find a man named Mr. Garrity, and he was a lawyer in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so Emmett begins his debate, and he is, uh, uh, just as he always is, a fantastic orator, driving all of his points home. He sits down, and Mr. Garrity does not talk about uh, Robert Emmett. I mean, he does not talk about the points. He does not talk about the argument at hand. He instead makes it a personal attack against Robert Emmett. Okay. Uh, and talks about uh, his personality and his flaws as a person. Uh-huh. Uh, so he sits down and uh, they decide to let Robert Emmett go up and, and respond to defend himself. Mm-hmm. And Robert Emmett goes up and he tries to stick to the point at hand at the discussion, the question that they're answering that night and as he goes into his response Garrity starts heckling him and uh, he starts making personal attacks against him while Robert Emmett is talking and Emmett uh, at the age of uh, 19 is completely thrown off Uh, and uh, after a number of these interruptions uh, he stops and he says uh, I'm very sorry and he says thank you for your time and he sits down And after this, this was seen as a great betrayal. This was seen as this great shining light could not withhold uh, these cheap tactics. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people lost faith in him because Mm -hmm. of the way that he crumbled uh, from uh, these attacks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Around that same time, the administration finally had proof of his involvement in the United Irishmen. Mm -hmm. And they decided to expel him (gasps) among many other uh, students uh, in the college at the time. Emmett asked if he could just withdraw and have his name taken off of the books, and the administrator said, no, Mm. I want to have the pleasure of taking your name out myself. So after completing everything to get his degree, he was not awarded the degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, This all happens in 1798. In the summer, the Great Rebellion begins, the rebellion that Wolf Tone was trying to organize, the rebellion where the French were going to come in and help liberate Ireland mm-hmm. uh, from uh, England. Mm-hmm. But that does not work out the way that uh, they had hoped. Mm-hmm. Robert Emmett plays this role of more of a courier. He's getting messages to people inside of Dublin, but a lot of the fighting is going on outside of Dublin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this just... Uh, uh, this whirlpool of violence and chaos as these people are uh, just betraying each other and killing each other and burning uh, each other inside of structures uh, and just violence everywhere uh, eventually ends up with the English overcoming and uh, many of the people in the United Irishmen either killed or captured, including his older brother Uh uh, who was taken uh, to a prison in Scotland. Mm. Uh, this leaves the United Irishmen with almost no leadership. Uh, and really, Robert Emmett becomes the one who uh, is uh, the new leader mm-hmm. of this organization. And he is in charge of making an after-action report. Why did this rebellion go so awry? And what he concludes is that people knew too much. Each uh, person in the rebellion knew the entire plan. Mm -hmm. So the English only had to capture one person and torture the information out of them, and then they would have everything. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, he says that in a new rebellion, what we need to do is withhold the information from even our own members. Make sure that almost no one has the entire plan. That way, if the English do capture one or two or five or ten and torture them, they're still not going to get the entire plan of, uh, of the rebellion. Mm -hmm. Uh Following the uh, 1798 rebellion uh, in 1799 and 1800, uh, the uh, Irish Parliament votes itself out of existence. Uh, the English court, uh, the English ministers go in and they bribe and they uh, corrupt and they blackmail uh, all of the members of the uh, Irish parliament so that they vote themselves out of existence and hand authority over to the English parliament. Uh, Robert Emmett, uh, according to family legend, is said to be in the gallery while they are doing this. And as that vote is taken, he makes a vow uh, that he will make sure that this gets overturned, that Ireland will uh, be free at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, in uh, So in between this time, uh, from 1800 to 1802, uh, he leaves Ireland and he goes to France. Uh, and France uh, has now gone out of the uh, chaotic uh, time of the French Revolution and has now entered the time of the three consuls, including Napoleon, who would eventually become the primary consul and the emperor. Mm -hmm. And he uh, has such a reputation already that uh, he meets with Napoleon. Mm -hmm. And Napoleon is very impressed with this young man. Uh, he's only uh, 22 years of age, but already conducts himself. Uh, he's a very uh, intellectual person, knows what he's talking about. Um, Emmett, on the other hand, is very wary of Napoleon. Uh, he uh, wants to make sure that any agreement that is entered to with this new empire of France is like the one that Ben Franklin set up with America, mm -hmm. that they are coming in as allies of an independent nation, not to bring Fran bring. Ireland under the umbrella of the French Empire. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1802, uh, he kind of makes some of these preliminary agreements. Uh, he's still very wary of the French, but he decides that it's time to go back to Dublin. Uh, his father passes away uh, shortly thereafter, and he leaves Robert Emmett uh, 2,000 pounds. And uh, with that, uh, Robert Emmett uh, begins a new plan uh, for a new rebellion. Uh, Robert Emmett had, uh, while he was in France, he had heard of these rockets that the Indians were using against the English, and that uh, the rockets, uh, even though uh, they were primarily mostly being used for people to see up in the sky, uh, they were so terrifying to the British that even though they had superior numbers, they had retreated at the mere sight of these rockets. Mm -hmm. And uh, Emmett was determined to figure out a way to make uh, rockets that the Irish could use mm -hmm. in their next rebellion. Uh, while he's in France, he's also studying military tactics, and he finds that almost no one has written a book about how you fight a war in an urban space. Mm -hmm. That uh, this is, of course, the time of Napoleon. This is the time of you get your army of thousands and I get my army of thousands and they fire at each other uh, in this great field. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how wars were conducted. Uh, but Emmett knew that this new rebellion would have to be done in a city center. Uh, but no one had written a book about that. Mm -hmm. But people had written books about how you fight a war in the mountains. 
And so he figured out how to take that information mm-hmm. of how you fight a war in the mountains and transpose it into how you can fight a war in urban Dublin. Mm. That you would then use this new technology of the rockets to fire at the British uh, from the tops of buildings, the same as you would fire from the top of a mountain, and how you would fight in these close quarters. Uh, so he goes back to Dublin with all this information. He also invents uh, this new weapon. So mm-hmm. uh, the classic weapon of uh, the Irish, of the Irish rebels, was the pike, this eight-foot spear. Well, it's kind of hard to be uh, hidden and uh, be concealed <laughs> if you're carrying around this eight-foot spear. What he decides to do is to put a hinge in the center of it and then it can fold so that it's only four feet. And then that way it can be uh, hidden under people's cloaks and under their coats as they go about their business Mm -hmm. in urban Dublin. And then when the uh, call is heard, they can then unfold them and begin. Mm. Uh, So uh, all of this is starting to come together in 1802. Uh, The new weapons, he has two uh, depots uh, inside of Dublin uh, that are making rock uh, specifically for this. Uh, he contracts with a gunsmith uh, to make uh, hundreds of guns, uh, and uh, uh, he uh, starts developing this plan on how he's going to uh, attack Dublin Castle. While all this is going on, in 1802, Robert Emmett falls in love. Uh, he falls in love uh, with uh, the sister of one of his best friends and the daughter of one of the most prominent lawyers in Dublin and a man who was very much on the side of the rebels, mm-hmm. a man uh, named uh, John Philpot Curran. Uh, so he falls in love with Sarah Curran, and they begin uh, this uh, great uh, romantic affair, and they write uh, so many letters to each other. But uh, Emmett is is sure that if he is ever caught, he wants to uh, ensure that she is protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they make a deal between themselves that all letters that they write to each other uh, will be cherished, but then burned uh, after reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they cannot hold anything, any physical evidence uh, that they have ever been together or of their love. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so uh, they agreed to this, and uh, many of these letters are burned, uh, and uh, he continues on uh, with this romance on his mind, but also this great rebellion to come. Uh, In uh, the summer of 1803... Uh, things are starting to go along very well. Uh, he's making sure that not very many people, even the rebels, know what his plan are, mm-hmm. just to know that something is happening and that you uh, should be prepared to come into Dublin when you hear the call. Mm-hmm. Then things start to go awry. Mm. On July 16th of 1803, one of these weapons depots where they're making the rockets explodes. Oh, no. Uh, The British uh, investigate, and they are absolutely sure that this was uh, a a whiskey distillery going going awry, (laughs) that that this was uh, uh, had nothing connected to any rebellion. They just had a rebellion a few years ago, and it was quashed very brutally. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's no way that they're planning something else. This was just uh, a whiskey still that was making illegal whiskey, and it had blown up. Still, Robert Emmett felt that he no longer had the element of surprise. Mm-hmm. So he pushes up the date of the rebellion to be uh, July 23rd. So from the 16th to the 23rd, he starts getting everything in uh, order, and he starts putting the call out for people to come to Dublin, for the rebels who are hiding out in the Wicklow Mountains, who are hiding out uh, all around Dublin, to come into the city center. 
Uh, and by uh, the 22nd, they have arrived, and uh, it's supposed to be uh, over a thousand people. And a lot of them have come in, and they say, okay, where is our leader? Where is this person, the secret person who's putting everything together? And uh, they are then introduced to Robert Emmett, uh, a Trinity man who had not yet uh, or would never achieve his degree, uh, an intellectual who was 25 years of age, who had never fought in his life. And many of these rebels said, I'm not putting my life in his hands. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's some intellectual. He has no idea what it's like to be in the fog of war. Mm -hmm. And they start going away. And as they go away, they tell all the other rebels, don't go. It's some boy who's in charge of this, they're all going to die. Mm. Don't go. Uh, even though Emmett had come up with this brilliant plan, uh, even uh, to how he would attack Dublin Castle, uh, the uh, attack was going to go uh, on three sides. Uh, so they had rented a house across the street uh, from the castle, and from there they are going to blow up mines and tunnel underneath. Uh, on the other wall, they would have men with grappling hooks that would uh, go up and ascend into the castle, and then they were going to have a third attack come in from a carriage uh, that was all dressed up to go to a ball at Dublin Castle. Uh, and then the guards would let them in, and then they would go and attack. And once they were in the castle, they were going to take all of the uh, members of the uh, crown uh, captive and hold them captive uh, until uh, the French would arrive uh, and provide the military support to take out the army. Uh, so all of this was uh, a plan so sophisticated that the English would have no idea. This was not going to be just your average rebellion that uh, started out from some pub and then uh, exploded across mm -hmm. uh, the countryside. This was detailed and intricate in its planning. But many of these rebels no longer trusted it. Mm -hmm. uh, by uh, the morning of the 23rd, the day that this rebellion was supposed to happen, uh, Robert Emmett uh, comes out and he is dressed in his finest regalia. He has this bright green suit on uh, and he has this proclamation uh, that is uh, similar to like the Declaration of Independence. Mm. And he uh, reads this uh, declaration and as he's reading it, there are 80 rebels that are gathered uh, around him. And he gets to the part where he says that we will take prisoners. We are not going to just kill indiscriminately like we have before. When we find a British soldiers who surrender us to us, we will take them prisoner and we will exchange them for our Irish brothers who are kept in Scotland mm -hmm. and in these other prisons. And as he says this, the 80 rebels start heckling him. Oh, and they no. say, we want their blood. We want their blood. We, we uh, demand this. Uh, uh, we're not going to play by their rules. He continues on, and he uh, uh, reads the uh, proclamation, and then he starts making his way down Thomas Street with 80 rebels. Well, the 80 rebels had uh, spent the whole night before drinking in the pubs. Uh, so even though he was expecting to have a 1,000, he now had 80. And as he made his way down the street, that quickly became 20, 20 men who could not walk in a straight line. Even before he gets to the castle, he calls it off. He leaves. He tells everyone that it's over, and uh, he rushes back uh, to uh, the house that he was renting. Uh, and uh, not everyone had gotten that message. So this, this group of 80 starts uh, uh, just a, a full-on ruckus and a drunken orgy of violence. And they start <laughs> beating, and uh, uh, they uh, break windows, and they uh, find a, uh, a carriage. 
that is carrying uh, Lord uh, Kilwarden. And uh, he was actually uh, quite liberal. He was uh, a supporter of Wolf Tone, even. Oh, no. um, but because he was a member uh, of the English uh, 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 rule, uh, he was taken out and he was piked to death. Uh. Uh, when Emmett arrived uh, at the house that he was renting, uh, one of his great friends, uh, Anne Devlin, uh, said to him, uh, just like that, are you going to give up the country, you coward? Uh, and, uh, 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 Emmett said, do not blame me, Anne. It wasn't my fault. Uh, Robert Emmett uh, escaped into the Wicklow Mountains outside of Dublin. Uh, and there his mother writes him a letter and says, you need to go to America. You need to get out of here as quick as you can. Go to America. Your brother will be there and uh, live a new life there. Forget all about this place. Mm -hmm. But Robert Emmett, he he can't leave his love. Mm -hmm. So uh, Sarah Curran is still there. Also, he doesn't want the other rebels to be tried and tortured. Mm -hmm. He decides that he is going to be the one to blame for everything. <laughs> no. And so he returns into Dublin and uh, he's there for a few weeks and he starts helping these other rebels to escape mm -hmm. and uh, getting them out of Ireland, getting them out of Dublin. Then on August 25th, uh, the English authorities arrive at the house that he is renting, and uh, the name that he gives is different from the name that the landlady gives. Uh, the uh, One of the English sergeants uh, hits him over the head with the butt of his rifle, and he starts to try to escape, uh, and uh, he is captured. They bring him in to Kilmainham Jail, and he is interrogated, and he handles the interrogation very well. The English actually have very little documentary evidence that he is the one in charge of this whole rebellion. Mm -hmm. Even though they do have his name and he has given it, um, they don't have a very tight case for this. Mm -hmm. But on his person when he was arrested, he had two letters no. from Sarah Curran. And the English, uh, they produced these letters and they said, will you be uh, more uh, persuaded if we bring the person who wrote these letters in? And when he saw that, his countenance completely changed. And he said, what do I have to do to make sure you do not bring that person in? He is convinced that they have Sarah in a dungeon somewhere in chains. And they uh, uh, and he folds completely, mm. says, I'll plead guilty. I'll do whatever I have to to make sure that that person goes unharmed. Mm -hmm. The English authorities don't understand why he has folded so quickly. They don't understand what's going on. They are convinced that these are letters from another spy that are written in a code. <laughs> uh, the, the letters talk about uh, uh, one day we will have our 10 little children together. Well, they think that those are 10 other rocket depots somewhere. Oh. Uh, so they uh, have no idea that uh, he is just protecting the great love of his life. They think that he's protecting some other rebel cell somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, but the way that he folds and, and pleads guilty, uh, and he is so convinced that they know that it's Sarah Curran. That he goes that night and he writes a letter to Sarah. And he gives it to the guard mm -hmm. who says that uh, he is going to try and get him out of jail. Mm -hmm. Well, the guard promptly takes that letter and gives it to the English authorities. Mm -hmm. So even though uh, they had no idea at first that this was Sarah Curran, yeah. now they have definite proof. 
And the next day, the English authorities go to the Kern household and they raid it. Mm. And the great lawyer, uh, Philpot Kern, who was going to defend uh, Emmett, now uh, swears uh, off him and swears off his own daughter oh, no. for doing all of this and kicks her out of the house. Oh, no. Uh, he uh, So Robert Emmett uh, then has to find another lawyer. And he goes to uh, Leonard McNally. And Leonard McNally was, uh, sort of had the same uh, reputation of being this great defender of rebels. Uh, what uh, Emmett uh, nor anyone else knew at the time is that Leonard McNally was an English agent. Uh, he was being paid by the English crown to give them information. Uh, so he was not going to provide any defense uh, for uh, Emmett. Uh, and uh, so his uh, other lawyer in the firm, uh, Peter Burroughs, uh, who tried to give him uh, a defense. But by that point, Robert Emmett uh, wanted, didn't even want a defense. Uh, he wanted to just plead guilty and get out of uh, just uh, ha have them kill him. He did not care. Uh, and uh, they made a deal saying that Sarah would be protected as long as uh, Robert Emmett gave no defense. So the trial goes on, and uh, Robert uh, goes on trial, and all of the charges are laid against him. And the only time he told his lawyer to speak up was when accusations were made against other people. Mm -hmm. uh, he was he wanted to be the sole person uh, uh, who was punished for this rebellion. Mm -hmm. And uh, the jury uh, deliberated for all of thirty seconds. They didn't even leave the room. They came back and said guilty. Mm -hmm. Uh, the uh, Lord uh, Judge, uh, he issued the sentence that he would be uh, hung by the neck uh, and then drawn and quartered. Uh, upon that, he asked if the defendant had anything to say for himself. And what Robert Emmett said uh, is one of the greatest speeches ever given in the English language. Mm. Uh, it has been uh, inspiration to people from Dublin to Galway, from America, uh, all over the world have taken something from what he said on the dock that day. Uh, I am going to read just a few excerpts, but I encourage everyone to look up Robert Emmett's speech from the dock. Uh, it inspired the likes of Lincoln and Churchill. Uh, it mm. is, uh, I would say, goes up with Shakespeare and how beautiful it is. Mm. Uh, as he goes into his defense of what he, he did and in, in his uh, uh, talking about the rebellion, they, they say that he's a French agent, that he has been sent here by Napoleon uh, to uh, attack the English. And uh, Robert Emmett uh, says that... Uh, were the French to come as invaders or enemies, uninvited by the wishes of the people, I should oppose them to the utmost of my strength. Yes, my countrymen, I should advise you to meet them upon the beach with a sword in one hand and a torch in the other. I would meet them with all the destructive fury of war. I would animate my countrymen to immolate them in their boats before they had contaminated the soil of my country. If they succeeded in landing and am forced to retire, before superior discipline, I would dispute every inch of ground, burn every blade of grass, and the last entrenchment of liberty should be my grave. 
uh, and he continues to go in on, on his uh, defense of what he's done and uh, the accusations, uh, the the uh, list of things the English have done to the Irish people. And all throughout this, Lord Nurbury, the judge, he keeps interrupting him, uh, just like uh, the other lawyer had tried to do at Trinity. Mm-hmm. But now... Emmett was prepared for this, and he answered every one of these interruptions very eloquently. Uh, And towards the end of the speech, uh, Lord Norbury, who knew uh, Robert Emmett's father, uh, says that your father would be ashamed of what you have done, that you are a traitor and your father would have nothing to do with you. Robert Emmett replied, If the spirits of the illustrious dead participate in the concerns of those who are dear to them in this transitory scene, dear shade of my venerated father, look down on your suffering son and see has he for one moment deviated from those moral and patriotic principles which you so early instilled Mm. into his youthful mind and for which he has now to offer up his life. And as he says this, even Judge Norbury uh, has a tear in his eye. Uh, the the final uh, words that he says in his uh, defense, uh, he says, uh, My lord, you are impatient for the sacrifice. The blood which you seek is not congealed by the artificial terrors which surround your victim. It circulates warmly and unruffled through its channels, and in a little time it will cry to heaven. But be yet patient. I have but a few more words to say. I'm going to my cold and silent grave. My lamp of life is nearly extinguished. I have parted with everything that was dear to me in this life, Mm. and for my country's cause with the idol of my soul, the object of my affections. My race is run. The grave opens to receive me, and I sink into its bosom. I have but one request to ask at my departure from this world. It is the charity of its silence. Let no man write my epitaph, for as no man who knows my motives dare now vindicate them, let not prejudice or ignorance asperse them. Let them rest in obscurity and peace. My memory be left in oblivion, and my tomb remain uninscribed, until other times and other men can do justice to my character. When my country takes her place among the nations of the earth, then and not till then, let my epitaph be written. Mm. I have done. Mm. Following that, there was not a dry eye in the entire room. All of the uh, men who were, uh, even the ones who were against him, even McNally, who was, now we know this, paid agent, uh, after Robert was done, he went and he kissed him on the forehead. Mm. Many Irish scholars calling him the kiss of Judas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he was uh, sent uh, back to his cell and he spent the whole night writing letters. He wrote letters to Sarah Kern, apologizing for everything that he had put her through. He wrote letters to his friends, to his brother. Uh, and then on the morning of the 20th, uh, it was set to be his execution, uh, the uh, uh, the preacher and the uh, guards came to uh, take him to the gallows. And as the cell was closed, he said, I-, I need to go back. I need to write one more letter. 
and they were not going to refuse this request of a condemned man. They let him go back to the desk, and uh, he wrote this letter uh, as if uh, he, he had it memorized. He didn't even need to think about it. And uh, he wrote a one-page letter, and he sealed it, and uh, it was to be delivered to William Wickham. William Wickham was the man who was in charge of uh, the English authorities in Dublin. He was the man who was uh, responsible for capturing uh, and prosecuting uh, Emmett. Uh, and so that letter was, uh, was sent to him. Emmett uh, was then led to the gallows, and the English authorities were convinced that when he saw the horrors of the gallows, that, of course, this is not the Old West movies. Uh, he would be hung uh, by asphyxiation. His mm. neck would not snap. So he uh, would strangle to death on that rope. Uh, and so they were convinced the scene that he would make at the realization of his death would be worth it uh, to let everyone see that he was a coward after all. Mm -hmm. So Robert Emmett goes to the gallows and he's very pleasant. He uh, pays uh, the hangman uh, and uh, uh, forgives him for what he has to do. He helps uh, him put the noose on his own neck. Mm -hmm. He asks if he can make a speech, and the English authorities say, no, you've already done far too much damage with that last speech. And so he says one final word. He says, uh, I die with sentiments of universal love and kindness towards all men. Mm. Uh, the hangman then says, uh, are you ready, sir? And he says, not yet. And he asks again, are you ready, sir? And he says, not yet. And then the hangman says, are you ready? And before he has a time to respond, he uh, kicks the plank from under him. Uh, he's strangled for around 30 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and then uh, he, his body was taken out, uh, and the hangman produced a blade and severed the head from the body. Uh, dogs came up to lap up the blood, mm. and women came with handkerchiefs to dip it in the blood. Mm. Uh, his body was taken away, and no one quite knows where the body was taken away. Uh, many believe that the English authorities uh, thought that if they were to provide him a tomb, that that would then become a spot uh, uh, for uh, political rebellions to begin in the future. Mm -hmm. So uh, his burial uh, was never recorded, and people do not know where it is to this day. Uh, William Butler, Butler Yeats uh, said a hundred years later that when they did that, and if that was their intention, then all of Ireland became his tomb. Yeah. That letter was then delivered to that final letter, that final request was delivered to William Wickham. This man who uh, had uh, brought down this rebellion, who was this bitter enemy of Robert Emmett. And he opened the letter, and Robert Emmett goes uh, and explains to him that he hopes one day that Ireland is free, and when it is, that England and Ireland should be allies, that uh, he uh, was never going to be allies with the French over the English as long as the English allowed them their liberty, and that he hopes uh, for this uh, relationship between the two countries in the future. And this uh, affected Wickham so much that a few months later, he resigned from his position. And in his resignation letter, he said, uh, 
I can no longer be an agent of this corrupt government Mm -hmm. uh, and what it has done to the Irish people and what it has done to this young man with so much promise Mm -hmm. to have made him a rebel and to have uh, made him uh, and then killed him. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was so wrong that I I must leave. And Wickham uh, was no longer welcome in England either. And he lived the rest of his life in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And whenever he was in Switzerland and he would find anyone who spoke English, Mm -hmm. if they were English, if they were Irish, if they were American, he would uh, he would take them to the nearest tavern and he would write out that letter from memory, word for word uh, that Robert Emmett sent him. Uh, And then uh, one of Wickham's uh, final words on this whole thing was, if I had been an Englishman, I mean, if I had been an Irishman, I would have followed Robert Emmett. Mm -hmm. Uh, the legacy of Emmett uh, lived on through the next uh, decades uh, and lived on in the hearts of many Americans. Uh, Abraham Lincoln learned the speech from the dock uh, word for word as a young schoolboy. Uh, and it was uh, a motivating factor uh, for people on both sides of the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, his legacy lived on in the hearts of Irishmen everywhere. And even when the uh, rebellion that did succeed, uh, they want to make sure that it started in Dublin uh, because the du- the people of Dublin uh, owed that to Robert Emmett because they had betrayed him so badly uh, when he was alive. Mm-hmm. Uh he uh, is remembered uh, in the hearts and minds of uh, anyone who uh, believes in, in liberty and believes in freedom uh, and uh, is just one of the greatest uh, patriots uh, and greatest Irishmen uh, ever to live. And uh, so on uh, this uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, I just uh, thought that it was important to share the story of his life. I think that's beautiful. I am very moved (laughs) and I'm very sad, but sometimes young people are only here for a little while to make a huge difference. And I think he made a huge difference. I'm glad you chose this, Chandler. He was truly amazing. I wish I knew what time he was born. (laughs) (laughs) Because everything in his chart shows who he was, you know? Sometimes I just don't like humanity. And that's what a lot of people point to the the failure of Robert Emmett is that he he didn't understand humanity. Uh, there was one of his people uh, at the time said that uh, it's too bad that something to the effect of uh, it's too bad that uh, all of that education isn't combined with smarts. Uh, <laughs> he 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 doesn't understand people. He didn't know who to trust. Um, uh, the Yates said in that same speech a uh, hundred years later that um, 
uh, Robert Emmett just didn't understand human nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if I even got to it in the uh, in the description of the rebellion, but the guns, they were expecting to have all these guns. And uh, so he gives uh, the money to one of his uh, lieutenants to go get the guns, and the guy never shows up. Uh, he just took the money and ran. Sure he did. Uh, uh, He just did not know. He could not understand people. He could not read people. He he saw the best in everyone and thought that everyone would have the same uh, uh, altruism Mm -hmm. that he had. Uh, And that was one of the major reasons uh, for his failure. He was too naive and too optimistic. He was too good. Uh, mm Mm-hmm. He was just too good. Uh, a, a, a lot of Irish scholars and Irishmen and women compare him uh, to Christ. Oh. Uh, that that the that the story is very similar. Uh, that he is betrayed. That he has this Judas kiss. He has uh, there's so many executed by a government. Mm-hmm. Um, many things that are are similar. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there are lots of uh, English people who who would not agree with that, uh, as that there were uh, innocent English people who who were killed mm-hmm. as a result of this rebellion. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what he wanted. Um, he he was looking forward to the day where England and Ireland could be respective allies of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, just Ireland needed its freedom and independence first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in finding out more, I would highly recommend the videos of, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, but I think it's uh, Patrick uh, Gagayan. Uh, he is a uh, professor at uh, Trinity College Dublin, and he produced a whole bunch of videos on uh, Robert Emmett, and you can look those up on YouTube. That's where I got a lot of the information for this from, uh, but uh, I I found those videos absolutely fascinating. That's where I really learned about Emmett and, and uh, why I decided to, to choose him. So I would highly recommend everyone see those videos on the uh, Trinity College Dublin uh, YouTube channel. Wow. I completely understand the being unaware of how humans treat humans. And I believe that people incarnate on earth to make attempts to raise that behavior and help people see a different way because I'm also one of those people. I don't ever see it coming. I will give everything I've got and repeatedly I will be thrown to the ground (laughs) metaphorically because I trusted a situation, you know, Mm -hmm. because I always can find good in people because I just think, well, you know, of course, of course they're good. You know, of course this needs to be this way, but I totally get it. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not happy all the time for people who believe the best in people. <laughs> no, no, usually be... it's very sad. <laughs> yes. It's very sad for those people. Yes, it's very sad. So I guess this, um, you know, really hit me because of i i going into this story i was reminded of you Uh, so i i that was another reason why i i selected this person because uh 
the, there there are many similarities. That's true. This is really beautiful, and I'm assuming that you know he continued incarnations to continue to help the planet. <laughs> I think once you reach this level where you are basically a martyr, you know, uh, you probably come back more and more and more because uh, you're so, so ascended that um, you're willing to sacrifice over and over and over for the good for, you know, it's like, just are there for the good ones? <laughs> you know, you can't judge all of them by the bad ones because Maybe if you are an ascended person or an ascended spirit or an ascended soul that you keep coming back because you know there's there's just this many good ones, you know, there's this many and this many is enough. That's enough to try and make it a better place, you know. Well, I think on our uh, scale of right on the money to way out in outer space, um, this one is uh, pretty close. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I think the birth time would absolutely help us more, mm -hmm. but there are many things, uh, you know, his intelligence, talking to his, um, the technical side of things mm -hmm. of his intelligence makes a lot of sense that uh, his communication style, um, the... Uh, uh, creative spiritual person with the heart of a warrior that that's him that that is um that is robert emmett mm -hmm. it's beautiful thank you chandler uh well uh that concludes uh this episode of history and retrograde we'd like to uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening uh, as always if you would like to support the show we have the links to our social media accounts posted in the show description uh, we also have a link to our paypal account every little bit helps us in making a better quality show and expanding our audience uh, we also have a link there uh, if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest uh, so uh, if you would like to have your chart read or the chart of you and that special someone uh you can uh, reach out to chandler's mom at <laughs> history and .com, and uh, mom will get with you uh with more details on how to make that happen i'd love to i am having a wonderful time chatting and visiting with so many of you and i love spending time with you and you can also find anything you're looking for at history and and there's a link to email me from there as well and I look forward to hearing from you. And I thank you all for um, listening to the show. And um, I'm really excited about when I chat with people and they tell me how they're learning about astrology and that it is um, something they really enjoy now. That's great. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you uh, all uh, again for listening. And as always, in conclusion, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything is going to be just fine. Happy St. Patrick's Day. We love you. Bye-bye. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Aaron Gobra. Mm -hmm. So long. <laughs>